And welcome, everybody. Father John and I are happy to be here with you tonight. Uh, we have a great show planned for you tonight. And before we get going, I noticed that in the in the greetings, the the Brinkmans brought up uh, Uncle Mike, Uncle Edward, rather, who passed away, and and Pat Fowl brought up Father Mike Smith, who passed away, and and a, a longtime watcher, actually, from the very beginning of our show. Her name is Pam Alexander. Some of you saw her when we used to pray the rosary. She was an older lady, and she would devoutly close her eyes during the praying of the rosary. Her name is Pam. She actually is dying right now. And, uh, and though it saddens us, it also we also approach death with, with a measure of hope. We're Christians, right? That's what we do. We have, we have hope in the face of death. So for Uncle Edward, for Father Mike, and, then, and for Pam, let's remember them as we pray the Angelus tonight. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary. She conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word is made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O most holy Mother of God. That we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour, Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy, thy grace, grace into our hearts, that, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. And St. Joseph, patron saint of those who are seeking a happy death, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, the pressure's on Father John tonight because I told him that we're providing a good show, Father. So we have a hot show planned for everybody tonight, and it's a, it's a hot topic because it's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's always hot because one of his symbols, and you'll go into this next week, is fire. And so we hope to get you all fired up tonight uh, with the Holy Spirit. And so think of today as, as an intro. Wes mentioned that there's three parts uh, to the Holy Spirit. And even then, we're barely scratching the surface. So some of you might say, well, wait a minute, you didn't touch on this or didn't touch on that or didn't touch on this other thing. We're barely scratching the surface with three episodes or three uh, uh, times dedicated to this. But time will come, right? In the coming years, time will come that we will spend more and more time on the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity. So, Father, should we jump right in? I think we get right into it. Let's, let's, just, let's just do it. And so in the introduction to the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, our Lord himself, introduces us to the Holy Spirit, right? We already knew the Holy Spirit. We're going to, the Holy Spirit, rather, we're going to learn about that later in the life of the church, how it is that he manifested himself in the Old Testament. So as a people, the Israelites and now ourselves, we're already prepared, if you will, for the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit himself, he prepared us for who he is. And so our Lord, in a very beautiful way, prepares us and introduces us to receive the Holy Spirit, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, for 
intimacy, knowledge, and relationship with the Holy Spirit, and most of all, to be able to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. So I think that the book does a very good job, right? The book that all of you have, hopefully all of you have this, and actually some of you never picked up your book, it's still in the office, it's not too late, you can still go pick it up. But it does a fabulous job, I think, about setting us up, preparing us for receiving the Holy Spirit, for how Jesus prepared us for the Holy Spirit, right? And so the question is, imagine the role, the job of a teacher, of a coach, even of a parent, and what is their, their job? And Father John, I think sometimes we don't think about what the job is of a teacher or of a coach. Or how hard it is. Or how hard it is. <laughs> Or of a parent. Of a parent, especially. Right. And I thought the, the book did a good job because the, the teachers and, and the go and the coaches, they set goals. They make plans of action. They set up rules. They teach and they instruct. They give encouragement. They provide discipline, even. And I would we could even add to that. Father, I don't know what else you might want to add to that. I would add that they, they provide an identity, right? It is our teachers, our coaches, our parents. Our families, our, our first and foremost. They help introduce us to who we are, right? Who we are, who is, where do we fit in this family? Where do we fit in this world? This is who we are. So the, the role of a parent in particular, but also of teachers, of coaches, people in leadership, they're so pivotal in our lives. Anyways, the, the, the book does a very good job of doing that. And so when, when imagine... When that person, that role of leadership is taken away, and sadly, when when the parent is taken away, right, and then we're, we're left in a state of being orphans, and that is the image that Jesus wants to use to introduce us to the Holy Spirit, because He has to go, right? He has to send into heaven, but He's not going to leave us as orphans. Right, because the, the state of orphanhood is difficult. And Wes, if you would put up that slide, and it's going to require some explaining here. Um, the people in the room who will go un, unidentified, except for Father John, <laughs> they're making fun of me because I chose this as an image for, uh, for orphanhood. And the reason I did, actually, is because if you, if you look for images of orphanhood, it is just sad. This is sad. It's just a, a, a sad thing. And not, not that we always try to avoid sadness, but just for our purposes, we just don't want was, to go to those depths. A, it was a thin library, I imagine. It was a, yes. And so, and so David Copperfield, you all know uh, the little guy's name, Oliver Twist, the the orphan. And, and so it's a, at least it's a happy image of orphanhood that we have on that cover, right? And so that's what that's all about. But, but mostly the state of orphanhood, being an orphan, Right, it's it's characterized by poverty. It's characterized by loneliness. Right, I don't know if any of you have ever worked or been to an orphanage, especially one in poverty. My goodness, the the loneliness is probably the the hardest thing that you see there. You can imagine an orphan being insecure, being hungry, desiring affection, right, and just a, a lack of, of general well-being. And these are all true, and they're depressing, right? They're sad characteristics or sad realities of orphanhood. But I think our Lord, although not, well, not really trying to skim over that, is trying to take a different approach when it comes to, to orphanhood. And what he wants us to imagine, I think, and Father, I'd be, interested to, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about this. 
what he's trying to convey to us is he's not going to leave us orphans in as much as he's not going to leave us without leadership. Right. He's not going to leave us without the ones who are going to help us with our identity to give us guidance. What else do you think? Melt well, as well? In preparing for this evening, and it is packed full of a lot of content because it's such a deep, deep subject, the Holy Spirit and the mystery behind the Trinity. But in this season of Lent, as we prepare now, in, in a few weeks hence, we'll begin the Triduum. And on, in, the, in this theme tonight of studying and reflecting on what orphanhood must feel like, we have to remember how traumatic our Lord's arrest, his seizure by the Roman authorities, he was taken then into the Praetorium and held, and uh, then crucified the next morning. So for the apostles, his immediate followers, his departure from them was traumatic. And then they witnessed him being brutalized. And so the immediacy of his death is this feeling of abandonment as a child. This, their entire hope was based on him as the Messiah. All of their security, a word you were picking up on earlier, was in this person, the personhood of Christ. And now he's taken from them very abruptly. So as we prepare for the Triduum and that beautiful experience, we can, we can connect with that identity of having our sole source of security, our hope, our future, our identity taken from us. That's the feeling of orphanhood. And we can imagine the apostles, right, seeing, first of all, Jesus, as you said, Father, being uh, tortured and killed, and then at the ascension being taken up to heaven. They probably thought, well, we're going to scatter. We're going to scatter now. Because the hub... The one that kept us together is gone, right? But he, but Jesus, no, he has a plan, right? He has a plan. And so, if you open your Bibles to, to uh, John chapter fourteen, right, the Gospel of John, right towards the end of the book, is where we find the Gospels, chapter fourteen, verse fifteen. And Jesus sets it up this way, right? Because Jesus is inviting us into relationship with Him, into personal, intimate relationship with Him. And this is how He sets it up: If you love me you will keep my commandments, right? So his love is unconditional, it is, but it's identifiable and it means something. So his love means that we follow, if we receive that love, if we enter into that love, that we follow a certain way of life. Didn't this dialogue, Father, take place? Isn't it on the Holy Thursday? It is. Passover meal where they've had their meal. They're, he's now teaching them, perhaps for the final time, before they will go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so he's giving them some really important instructions. Absolutely. And, and so this, is, this really, in a sense, is, is the, the crescendo to everything that he's said and he's done. So here he is saying, if you, if you love me, if you're willing to live in this relationship with me, you will keep my commandments. So they think, well, wait a minute, you're going to be taken from us. How do we know? And then the crescendo just builds up. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Right? So there is Jesus introducing us to the Holy Spirit. Right? You are going to need a counselor. You're going to need somebody who's going to hold you together. You're going to need somebody to keep you in my path, that hub. And I am sending you that hub. He is the Holy Spirit. And he comes from the Father. So this is good, right? The Holy Spirit is good. He comes from the Father. And so think about it. That's how Jesus introduces us to the Holy Spirit, right? In a, in a very concrete, 
identifiable way. This is who this Holy Spirit is, and this is his role. This is his job, is to teach you the path that leads to me, right? Because remember, we follow Jesus because Jesus is going to take us to the Father. And what a beautiful way that God has set this up. The Holy Spirit, we're going to go into that in just a second. The Holy Spirit teaches us how to follow Jesus. We follow Jesus, we go to Jesus, and Jesus takes us to the Father. What a beautiful thing. And so this is where we see the, the, the working of the Trinity in, in an excellent way. And you and I are not meant to parse out, like my favorite person in the Trinity is the Son, <laughs> or my favorite person in the Trinity <laughs> is the Father, or I only go to the Spirit. Nonsense. All, of, all three of them are God, right? There's one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The, the Son is not there to say, if you don't like my dad, you can come to me. Right, And the Holy Spirit is not there and saying, if you don't like the dad, you don't like the brother, you come to me. No, that's not what they're saying at all. Right, It is Jesus who's at the center of all. He's at this very center. And it is the Holy Spirit who teaches us to follow him. We follow him, and he takes us to the Father. And so if you put up that image of that hub, this is how important the Holy Spirit is. Right? He becomes that hub. He becomes the one who keeps us together. Because Jesus, of course, he says this. He, sa he says this in the context in, in the previous Gospels before, after having set up St. Peter as the rock. I have come to establish my church. The role of the Holy Spirit is to be the center of that church, to God, because it is a church that teaches us to follow Christ. And actually, I'm jumping ahead here, Father. Uh, and so we'll, we'll have to get back to, to what we're talking about here. Well, I, I think I was actually following along with the, the sequence. It made sense to me in this notion of the hub, the spirit, the hub, the church is, the, is Christ manifest. We are the body of Christ here on this earth. Our mission is to get back to the Father. That's our goal is to know and love the Father through the outworking grace of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ within us bringing us back to the Father, to know him and to love him, as our traditional catechism yeah. required, uh, to know him and to love him. That's why I exist. And the Holy Spirit is that energizing force within us to motivate us to do just that. And let's take a little parenthetical uh, moment here, parentheses, right, um, where there's a there's a big, it's called the schism, the Western schism that happened in the in the year 1054. It was a political thing, but they they kind of cloaked it into a theological thing. And, and the question is, what is the source of the Holy Spirit? And so the Eastern rite of the church, so you have the Orthodox, right? You've heard of Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox. They have held that the Holy Spirit comes from the Father alone. And the Western Church, which is based in Rome, we're Western Catholics, by the way. The world knows us as Western Catholics or as Roman Catholics. We just call ourselves Catholic, right? But we have a, we fit into the larger world as either Western or Roman Catholics. And we have always held that the Holy Spirit proceeds, as we say in the Creed, from both the Father and the Son. And if you ever want to impress your friends, we're gonna we're, forget the fifty cent words. This is a dollar word because it's a, it's in Latin, and it's actually three words. Filioque, which means and the sun or and from the sun. 
Fili Okwe. Right, so so you can amaze and astound your friends with that word. And we say that each Sunday, don't we? Say, we, each Sunday we say we say filioque, but we say it in English. But we say it in English. English. As we remember, uh, back in in October, we talked about the holy about the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right, so we have the Father, who is the Creator uh, of all things. The Son originates, and that's as close as I'm getting to unpacking this mystery. Remember, a mystery is a revealed truth. It's not a puzzle to be solved. It's a revealed truth. And so as, as close as we can get to this is the Son originates from the Father, and from the Father and the Son comes the Holy Spirit. And so that's something that you and I have, always have to remember, because I think for many of us, when we think of God, we think of the old man painted by Michelangelo on the Sistine Chapel ceiling. He looks wise. He has a, a white beard. Actually, there's a description of him in the book of Revelation, and perhaps that's where that comes from. And that is true, right? When we're, specifically when we're talking about God the Father. But when we talk about God, we have to talk about that community of love who is the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We They're, they're, they're inseparable, but we try to separate them so we can understand what it is that they do. But they're, they're, they exist in complete and perfect unity, which is why we can't say, that's why I go to the Son, because I don't like the Father, or I go to the Spirit, because I don't like the Father or the Son. No, baloney, right? It's They're, they're that unity. And and you have the, the, the Son at the center of it all. And, it's, and I have to say this and say it again. The Holy Spirit reminds us to follow, how to follow Jesus, teaches us how to follow Jesus, we go to Jesus, and Jesus takes us to the Father. That is salvation. Reflecting, uh, reflecting on that, Father, you had back, I think, in the fall, maybe October time frame, when we were talking about the creation story, you'd used some beautiful imagery of, of the Spirit hovering over the water, and how this the the the, the Trinity God, the God of Trinity that we know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, <clears throat> in the creation of the world, the Holy Spirit is there present. And I think uh, you even have some images yes. tonight about that. And this is kind of a modern image. I thought it's interesting, and it depicts that, right? So it's the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Bible tells us hovers over the waters, and you know, and the waters to, to the Jews. And this is not characterizing or stereotyping people. They were not a seafaring people. They were afraid of the ocean, actually, right? Because the Philistines lived by the ocean, and so they were afraid of the of the ocean. But they're so close to it, yet they stayed away from it. And so when we hear, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, the ocean, the scary place, the place of chaos, the place of darkness, right? The place that we stay away from, right? But God was hovering over it. And I think that this, this piece of art here, I think is more of a sculpture on a wall than, than a painting. It kind of depicts that, right? There's, or you can see there's order coming you see the orb forming. You see part of the sun beginning to form. Right? The Holy Spirit hovered above the water. So when we hear water here, Father, so I'm glad you brought this up. We need to think chaos. We need to think disorder. The Spirit of God hovered. He was not afraid of. He hovered over that chaos, over that disorder, over that deep. And what is it? Not only, not only is he not afraid of it, not only does he hover over it, but he brings order from it. And then fast forward in the we call the economy of salvation, that same order is brought to the church. This church yes. has now been breathed into life by Christ. 
there's order again brought to the chaos of their confusion and anxiety. And isn't it interesting how our Lord himself, through the Holy Spirit, established that order in the church? Right? It is through the Holy Spirit that Peter, the rock, who now is represented by the Holy Father, the Pope, here we have an image of that, right? He continues in his role of being that visible image of unity for the church, all based on, on the Holy Spirit. But anyways, we jump ahead. Father, we talked about the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. And so let's see. So remember, Jesus specifically tells us who the Holy Spirit is. Here in John chapter 14, he has to go to heaven, but he's going to send us a counselor. Somebody who's going to direct us, and that is the Holy Spirit. And it's almost as, as if he's saying, you know this Holy Spirit. You've perceived his power. You've heard of his power first in Genesis chapter 1 but also in, in the breath of life. And I love this. This is one of my favorite quotes in all of sacred scripture. If you go to the book of Genesis, right at the very beginning, maybe even page two in your Bible, look, it's just right there. So book of Genesis, uh, chapter two, verse seven. And again, just a little uh, tidbit here. There are There's not only one story of creation in the Bible, there's two of them, right? And so this is the second story of creation. Um, and we'll have to get into that some other time. But remember, the Bible is concerned with conveying truth. It's not trying to convey to us biology or geology or the history of the world per se. It's trying to convey to us truths. And the best way that the Bible writers could, could convey that, after all was said and done, was with two stories of creation. And we can believe they're both true because they both convey truth. They both convey the truth of God. But anyways, here it is. Beautiful. Chapter 2, verse 7. This is where we see the Holy Spirit again at work. First, he hovers over the water. And then, listen to this. Then the Lord formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Isn't that powerful? God created man from the dust of the earth, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God is the source of that breath of life, and God, the Father to be sure, but also God the Holy Spirit. If I'm not mistaken, I should have done my homework on this one, but I'm pretty sure that the Hebrew word for spirit, the spirit that he breathed into his nostrils is, is ruah. Ruah. Ruah, which means, which is breath, specifically that breath of life. Isn't it beautiful, Father? Symbolically, we place those ashes on our forehead. Just two weeks ago, as we initiate the season of Lent, and this celebrant says, remember, man, that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And it's only through the sacramental life of the church that we are constantly Ruah, encountering Ruah, breathed into life through the sacraments all the time, energized through the work of the Spirit, to know our Father, to know the know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. Uh, but it's that it's that it, that that beautiful reminder that we begin this season of reflection with is we are dust breathed into life. Psalm one thirty nine: Every life is intended by the Father and breathed into existence. A little bit of a spoiler alert, but next week we'll talk about some of the symbols of the Holy Spirit. One of them is oil and sacred chrism. Father, I'm sure you've noticed this before, and maybe some maybe some of you have not if you've not been to the chrism mass. But the bishop blesses the oils of the sick 
the oaths of catechumens and the sacred chrism. And the sacred chrism, do you know how he blesses it? The bishop blows into it. So the, the oil is in a vessel and the bishop will blow into the vessel. That's how he blesses the oil of chrism. That ruah, that spirit that comes from his apostolic office, right? That's who the bishop is. And he, he breathes into that sacred chrism, which is the most powerful of the oils that we have mm. and the most beautiful of them. And he blesses it with his breath. Right, so here it, it's it, we we know this spirit, we know this ruah because he was blown into our nostrils, right? In the in the, in the moment that we were born and started breathing air on our own, right? It, somehow God breathes that into into our lungs, that that ruah, that life giving spirit that that makes us love life, and that leads leads us to to Him. Another another image of the Holy Spirit that I just love, I absolutely love is found in uh first book of Samuel. Remember, there's two books of Samuel. The first book of Samuel, chapter 16, verse 12 to 13. And what I'm trying to do here, Father, what we're trying to do is to show how it is that the Holy Spirit has worked. All through you know, history. Through history. Yeah. Right now in the Old Testament, how is it that the Holy Spirit has anonymously and in a hidden way, how is that he's worked? He hovered over the waters. He's breathed into the nostrils of Adam, the first man, and he's brought to life. But listen to how he does it here. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 12 to 13. Let me see if I can find it here real quick. And I and, uh, hope that you find it in your Bibles. So here, this is the story of King David. Let me just give you a little, a little backstory. Samuel is sent to Jesse in Bethlehem because from his sons, God has chosen a king. And so Jesse and, and Samuel presume it's the oldest, right? It's the oldest boy because he typically is the king, but he's not. And, and, so, and so Samuel is able to say, no, it's, it's not this son. How did he know it was the Holy Spirit? But it really comes out here clearly here. And so, and so then Samuel says, is, it, is this, are these all your sons? Because God said no to all of them. Didn't and he bring them forth one at a yeah, time. Yeah, one at a time. They all, all came. And he said, yeah, and he said no. And he says, it has to be another one because God said one of your sons is going to be king. And so far, every son you've presented, God has rejected. So there's got to be another one. And he said, well, yeah, there's another one, the youngest. He, he's he, back out tending the flock. He's tending the flock. <laughs> he doesn't count. He, he has no part in this lineage. He's just a boy, and he's the last born boy. There's no way he could be king. And Samuel says, bring him in. And then listen to this. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. How did Samuel, what does Samuel hear? How did Samuel perceive that? I think it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who told Samuel, no, these other sons are not he. It is this one. Look, and there's that image, and, and I love this image because look at look at his brothers. They're kind of stately. They're big. And there's Samuel, uh, rather David. He's young. He's dressed like a shepherd. He's clearly just a boy. You know, he comes in from the fields. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And listen to this. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And so the Holy Spirit was present there. He wasn't identified as such, but the Holy Spirit was there leading Samuel, 
guiding Samuel, telling Samuel, no, not this one, not this one, not this one. Yes, this is he. This is the chosen one of God. Beautiful. Oh, my gosh, time is flying. Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 37, 7, uh, <laughs> the great prophet. 7 through 10. This is one of my favorites. Oh, one of my favorite stories in all of sacred scripture. You have Ezekiel. And poor Ezekiel, these poor prophets, the mouthpiece of God, they had a hard time. They had to go speak the message of God. And usually it was hard, and usually it challenged the people. And, and oh, my gosh, they, they, they lamented. Actually, Jeremiah is even known as the weeping prophet because his life was so hard trying to do what God asked. So here's Ezekiel. He has all these hard times. He's challenging people. Everybody hates him. And so God says, go out into this field, and you're going to find a bunch of dry bones. And then God says, speak to the bones. Isn't that silly? Speak to the bones. And this is Samuel's response, rather Ezekiel's. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, and Wes, there's a wonderful uh, slide for this. There was a noise. And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And as I looked, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he had commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they mm -hmm. lived and stood upon their feet. An exceedingly great host. Just as in Genesis. Just like in Genesis, Read that rule. And look how powerful it is, right? And in Adam, you, you get that sense of power. And Adam was just a clay figure who gets that breath and he's brought to life. But here there's bones. And talk to the bones. When he says prophesy, it means talk. Talk to the bones. And he talks to the bones and they come to life. Uh, they Rather, they come together. But there is no life until Ezekiel speaks to the Ruah, the Spirit, the breath. Come from the four winds. Come from the four winds, O Spirit. That beautiful song, that beautiful Teze song, Come from the four winds, O Spirit. Right? And, and the Spirit comes and he vivifies, he brings to life those who were slain. So this Spirit is powerful. This is a powerful Spirit, this Holy Spirit, that Jesus is going to, to send upon his departure. And in the interest of time and in the fullness of time, our Lord's nativity. But to prepare for our Lord's yes. nativity, Mary has to Mary. be protected. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, and, so, and so the Holy Spirit, thank you, Father. The Holy Spirit, we know him through sacred scripture. We know him through, tra through tradition. And so we can ask ourselves, and we should ask ourselves, and people ask us, how was the Blessed Virgin Mary? If you believe she was sinless, how, how did that, that happen? How could that be? Again, this is a revealed truth, right? It's revealed to the church. Not as a puzzle to be solved, but as a truth to be believed. It is that the Holy Spirit, that the Blessed Virgin Mary, was able to, to remain sinless from the moment of her conception to the moment of the end of her life. Again, not death. We call it her dormition. She was sinless. And why? For one reason, and one reason only, she was going to be the mother of the incarnate God. At the second person of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Trinity. And there we have in that image, right, the dove hovering over the, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Because the angel said, what did the angel say to her? 
the power of the Most High. Do you have it there, Father? I do. The Holy Spirit, this is in verse 35. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Isn't that wonderful? It says, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, not a puzzle to be solved, but a truth to be uh, that has been revealed that we are to believe. Right? So this, imagine that this is the Spirit that makes incarnate God in the womb of a human being, the Blessed Virgin Mary. There is power. I think more than anything, the Lord, first of all, the, the first thing is we need a hub. That hub is the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about it in just a second, who is the church, and this spirit is powerful. The church is secure. The church is safe. Come what may, because the Holy Spirit church is guiding her and is protecting her. We always talk to the church as a her because she's the bride of Christ. We always speak of her in the feminine. She is the, the bride of Christ. Another, Just another statement, Father. You know, some people say women should be allowed to be, to be priests. Big topic, and I know it's huge and a lot of emotion around it. But one reason, one theological reason is the church is the bride. Who is the spouse? Christ. Who stands in the person of Christ? The priest. Right? And so the priest stands in the person of Christ, the bridegroom, in service to his bride, who is the church. But it was a huge topic for another day. Right, so the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit continues to guide the church. So Wes, if you would show us that Holy Spirit window. And last week, we talked a little bit about the, uh, the chair of St. Peter, right, at, at, at St. Peter, Peter's Basilica in Rome. And there in the middle of, of this big, humongous brass altarpiece is this, it's not glass, it's alabaster. Wow. It's alabaster stone cut thinly so that the, sun, the sunlight can come through it. The Holy Spirit, mm. right? That chair, those saints, this church, this faith, this religion means little if that Holy Spirit is not at the center of it, guiding it, giving it its power, giving it his power, leading it, right? There's something so beautiful. And, and if you ever think about leaving the Catholic Church, don't. And you might say, I don't like my priest. I don't like my bishop. I don't like the pope. Don't leave the Catholic Church. And if you are a Catholic and you're proud of it, be very proud of it because here is the reason. Let me look it up real quick. John chapter 14, verse 25. Oh, I just went to Zechariah. John chapter 14, verse 25. I have told you this. Be yes. Advocate, the counselor. So these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But get this. But the counsel of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So this is the church. This is what this is why this is why I'm Catholic, right here. Right? This is the this is when it comes down to it. Why am I why is Father Flores a Catholic? Because of this. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So anybody, anybody says, Why does the church teach what she teaches? Because it is the Holy Spirit teaching and reminding what Jesus said to the life and ministry of the church. That is the glory and the reason and the foundation of the Catholic Church right there. The Holy Spirit who teaches and reminds what Jesus himself has said. 
right? And so there, there is no option but to be a part of that church to which Christ promised this. And now we have the Catholics in action moment. Father, that was a lot. Thank you. <laughs> well, good evening. It's great to see everybody. Our Catholics in action uh, is a challenge to draw a little bit more closely to the Holy Spirit through prayer. And we have a fantastic traditional prayer to the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's quite familiar to, to many. many. And if it's not familiar to you, I encourage you to pray it with us and make it part of your normal devotional life. Now go ahead and make that a little bit bigger so everyone can follow along. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created and you will renew the face of the earth. Lord, by the light of the Holy Spirit, you have taught the hearts of your faithful. In the same spirit, help us to relish what is right and always rejoice in your consolation. We ask this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I think part of what we're asking you to do is to look up that prayer. Get, you know, maybe get it online and pray it as a family. What a powerful prayer. And for the record, Father said that that's the reason he's Catholic too. Right, Father? It is. I, I want to know truth. I want to know truth. Well, the truth of the Holy Spirit. Talk to me. The Holy Spirit and the church that teaches that truth. So thank you. Thank you for joining us tonight. We will see you on Sunday. And remember, one thing that, that we mentioned last week is that we are relying on you. If there was even just a minuscule, and I know we didn't give you much, but if there's just even one little thing that you thought, that's something I can take to the bank, the spiritual bank. Right? That's something that, that, that holds truth for me, that really speaks to my soul. Then share that with somebody. Right? Bring, bring others to, to PC. Uh, Father, you want to just quickly talk about PC being a hub? Well, it's a beautiful analogy used earlier where the church is the hub of the expression of the Holy Spirit lived out in our lives as we know them. And PC, this purposely Catholic uh, uh, way of being, it's not a program, it's not an initiative, it's a way of engaging our faith. And this community that exists in, all, in, all, in our two parishes, this combined effort, Purposely Catholic is a way of being that finds its manifestation in different ministries. And so we, we as people serve the people of the church and the communities around us in different ways. Being purposely Catholic is the hub. It's the Ruah that breathes the animation of Christ out into our various Amen. ways of connecting. That's what we do, That's purposely Catholic. Thank you, Father. And thank you all for joining us tonight. And uh, we'll see you at Mass and see you next week. See you at Mass. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you.